John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, this is Ed Peterson. And this is John Kiltica, Ed. John, that line turned really red, the recording line, when I said hey, because I'm really excited today. You're a loud talker. Yeah, it's the High Game Podcast. It is the High Game Podcast. We talk about guitars. Yes. We talk about effects pedals, yes. amps. Yes. Stuff like that. Yeah. Working out, staying in shape. Sure. Running. That's our thing. <laughs> That's what we do. Yes, we. Where do we run, John? Uh, I run in my mind. Beautiful West Seattle. Beautiful West Seattle. Yeah, that's where we are. We love it over here. But guess what? What? We're going across the water today. Okay. Across the pond. That's what they say. Is that what they say? Yeah, something. Yeah, we're going to go to Wales. Okay. We've got Jimmy Watkins from the Vega Bodegas. Do you know about him? I do. Yeah? Yeah. We've been trying to do this for, I don't know, four years. He is the great white whale of podcast guests. Oh. That's right. Moby Dick, here he comes. Uh, Are you here, Jimmy? I am. Yes, I'm here. Perfect. We have been trying to have you on for a while. I think you and I have been connected on the socials, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we've just had scheduling stuff. John and I have computer things. We don't know what we're doing over here. (laughs) But we did it. I think you've caught me at a good time, though. Yeah? I finally got a reason to come on the podcast now. Oh, I feel like a a podcast-worthy guest now. I've got lots to talk about. The trouble with this one's going to be keeping us on task. That's going to be the hard thing. We can do it. Yes, we can do it. The welcome wind will cut you out Faster than you think The smiling sun will melt you down Before you blink Swallows it. Water, water everywhere. Beverages. Beverages, Ed. 
the new originally composed beverage song. Oh, man. We've been tightening up our segment things. Can you tell? Was that great, Jimmy? Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I think you should take the guitar you're holding and throw some cool, like, solo-y stuff over the top of that. Oh. You know, in post, like in the future time. I could probably do that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Jimmy, what are you drinking? Ah, right. Well, I was going to go for a, a fancy alcohol-free beverage. But my taste bud's not up to it today, so I've got a Capri Sun. Do you know what a Capri Sun is? It's a little juice box? Yeah, it goes in kids' lunch boxes. <laughs> That's what I'm drinking. <laughs> That's great. Uh, what flavor? Mm. I just had to take a sip to make sure. Uh, it's orange. Man, you know what I have? Uh, no. I've got a big jar of freshly made orange juice where I took like 10 oranges and a big hunk of ginger, and so it's ginger orange juice. Oh, nice. Why does it look like house paint? (laughs) I've got a juice machine, and I don't peel them or anything. So this is the oranges and the orange peel, the whole orange. What? Isn't that horrible, Jimmy? Isn't that just insane? I don't care. (laughs) That doesn't sound normal. It does make it a little thick and weird and slightly gross, but... I'm going to drink it anyway. <laughs> oh, man. I was going to ask about the ginger in that drink. Yeah. That was the immediate thing that seemed odd to me. It was ginger, but now you've got orange peel in there. I just have no more questions. <laughs> Any beverage, you put ginger in it, and it's better. That's science. Yeah. Science. Yeah. <laughs> what do you got, John? I've got a bottle of what is called Joe Tea. Apparently, there's a guy named Joe who makes tea and drives yeah. around in an old-timey truck that says Joe Tea on it. Yeah. They are out of uh, Upper Montclair, New Jersey, my home state. New Jersey. I've been to New Jersey. Did anything jump out at you about <laughs> New Jersey? They seem to take their cemeteries really seriously. Oh. There was just something about the cemeteries there. They looked really important. You know, mm. where I live, cemeteries look forgotten. Yeah. You see a cemetery and it, you can see people haven't been there, but the ones in New Jersey looked looked like offices. Offices. Wow. <laughs> the funny thing about New Jersey is that state is about 8,700 square miles, which is roughly the size of Wales. Huh. <laughs> what about that, Jimmy? Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah. Every time I find out a fact like that, it just makes me realize that I live in such a small country. 14 million rugby pitches. That's the size of Wales. <laughs> oh. Yeah. It's about twice as big as Connecticut, four times as big as Delaware, eight times bigger than Rhode Island. That's the size of Wales. That is competitive. Yeah, you have a song that kicks off your debut album, right? Yeah. The Size of Wales. Oh my God, that song is such a banger. Ah, cool. You know, you're into that running punks thing. Yeah. That's kind of your deal. I very often put that Vega Bodega album on when I hit the elliptical. And that first song, it gets you going. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. It's really good. For the viewers. Yeah. Our man Jimmy Watkins was once in a band called The Future of the Left. Then he was in the Vega Bodega, still is. Yes. Yep. He also runs. He was a competitive professional athlete. He's still running, but he runs around doing <laughs> album reviews. 
Yeah. So he holds a selfie stick out and he runs with headphones in and he talks about what he's listening to. Us, the viewers, we can't hear shit. Right. All we know about it is what he tells us. What he screams at us. Yes. Is that an accurate description of running reviews? It's definitely accurate because it sounds ridiculous. If someone explains it and it doesn't sound ridiculous, they've done a bad job. Well, I have, for the sake of our listeners, a director's cut of one of your runs. Would you mind if I played it? Absolutely not. Go for it. This is, oh, I guess about 40 minutes of your Adele latest album review condensed down into maybe less than a minute. Oh, Oh, amazing. Okay. Good morning. I am heading for a run to the brand new Adele album. It's called 30. I think it was named after everybody's favorite speed limit. Let's get going. It's like doing your hair and makeup in front of a mirror. The floorboards are bouncing. I can smell hair straighteners. We're going for a night out. Come on, Adele. She's a force of nature, but she also wants a bit of action. Who's going to jump into bed with a hurricane? Go on, Adele. Go on. But now we're being honest and real again. And she's saying consistency is key. It is in a relationship. It's also key for making pancakes, which is why I measure my flour and milk with the same mug every time. Towards the end of this album, it's like looking at a painting. I feel like I'm in a gallery looking at this magnificent work of art. And I'm feeling really sorry for her. I want to take her off the wall, take her to the cafe next to the gift shop and buy her a lemon and poppy seed muffin. Was that a key change? Or did the whole universe just pat me on the back? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my word. I forget what comes out my mouth. Do you? Yeah. There is a skill to being able to pull analogies like that. They feel like out of thin air. Watching those reviews is amazing. They are so good. <laughs> Thank you. They, they're fun. I just love doing them. Honestly, I love doing them. And uh, encouraging people to run is amazing. Like, say I do one and, and it doesn't go down particularly well. It, it doesn't bother me because I know that someone's probably seen that and it's got them out running. So I don't know. It's quite rare to find something you can do for yourself, which you really like and is really good for other people. It's quite rare. How did you start running or have you run always? I've always been sporty. I was kind of made to do sport in school because I was a bit of a loner. And it was my parents' way of getting me to make friends. <laughs> so <laughs> like, if you do sport, you'll make some friends. So I went through the whole team sport thing because I was looking for friends. And then when I realized I didn't need friends, I did a sport on my own, which was running. And then I don't know how, if it's genetics or what, but I was just good at it. And I got good at it quite quickly. And then I got a lot of success early on, and then I was able to quit when I was really young. (laughs) He was so good at... Yeah, able to quit. He quit. I want to be that good at anything. I'm so good at it, I just stopped. I was 24 and I just stopped. Yeah. That's why I don't shred the metal licks. (laughs) People really need to go hit the Running Punks YouTube channel. You can just needle drop any of them. They're just so good. Ah, oh, thank you. A thing that you seem to be able to do is run and internalize the lyrics and get a message. Yeah. You can figure out what an album is about lyrically. And so there's like deeper meaning to your reviews. That's funny you should say that because just before I came on this podcast, I had a message off a friend kind of teasing me because I'm always looking for meaning. (laughs) That's what I'm like with albums. Yeah. I've always just listened to them on my own and I would always try and work out what's going on, what's it about. That's my thing. Do you tend to key into the words more than the music generally? I think even in terms of this, if there's a song which is amazing musically and the lyrics are bad, it'll put me off. But if there's a song which musically is a bit rubbish with amazing lyrics, I'll still like the song. Uh, huh. I'm definitely a lyrics person, yeah. The Joshua Tree or 
you know, Synchronicity by the Police. I've heard those albums probably thousands of times, and I could not tell you lyrically what they are about at all. Wow. That's <laughs> I have no idea. So when I hear someone that's able to pull it out, it's amazing to me. I did one last week for a band called Yard Act. They're quite big over here now. Their album got to number two in the charts. And um, as I was running into it, I was like, there's something here. There's, there's something going on with this album. There's a story going through it. I did the video. And I film a lot when I'm running. And then it takes quite a lot of editing because some stuff is just ridiculous. So I can't put that in. Sure. And <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, this kind of makes sense. So I put it online. And then the singer sent me a message saying, you're the first person to work out what the album's about. Wow. Yeah, he was interviewed on Six Music. They asked him, oh, I understand you've said in interviews previously that there's a story running through his album. Can you explain that? And he says, Jimmy Watkins, a running punk. He's the first person to work it out, <laughs> which is mad. Especially considering you worked it out hearing it for the first time as you're running. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> I've kind of discovered for myself with running reviews is that your relationship with music goes two ways. And I think music knows when you're making an effort. You know, when I was a kid, I'd save money by cutting grass to buy an album. And then you'd have all the money and then you buy the album. And even if you didn't like it on first listen, you would persist with it because you're like, I worked hard to buy this album. I need to give it some time. And after a while, I noticed that even as a kid, albums I didn't like at the start, they would grow on me and start loving them. And I just think it's too easy now to just stick something on a Spotify, kind of listen to it quite passively and just think, ah, it's not for me. It's not for me. Whereas when you're running, you're putting in a lot of effort. This whole exchange happens between you and the music. You're working hard and I feel the music just kind of rewards you for it. Do you think the act of running itself provides a focus that helps with that? Yeah, definitely, because you just shut off everything else around you. You just literally just listen to the music and, and making sure you don't step on dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's my only thing. I like the ones where you're running and you like trip or like there's a fallen branch or something. You're like, whoa, what's that? There's a lot of puddles in your path. Yeah. You should come run in Seattle. Yeah, definitely. A trip to Seattle is needed. Yeah. Um... With the Vega Bodegas, you must put the effort into your lyrics that you obviously put into your running reviews. Do you approach music lyrically first and then the music, or how does that work? My whole songwriting has changed in the past couple of years, the way of doing it. I'm two years sober now, and I tried to go teetotal when I started writing that first album. And there's some songs on there that I wrote when I was sober. And then I kind of fell off the wagon and became a bit of a party animal again. And I can see the difference in the songs. I can hear the songs huh. that were written when I was sober. Yeah. There's a bit more clarity to it. There's a bit more focus to it. Huh. I guess I kind of trust myself a bit more. I can edit what I want to say or what I want to play. Whereas before it was kind of whatever I thought of first usually just ended up in the song. But this time around, I do work quite a lot of it. Do you start with a kind of associative thing and then whittle it down from there? I always start with the song title. And then I usually just make a note of what that title makes me think of. I'll have like a mind map kind of thing. And I'll have a title in the middle and I'll have little things going off on a tangent. What that title oh, makes me think of. Right, right. Yeah. And I kind of look at that. I have that on the desk next to me. Then I write the lyrics on the laptop. And I'd be looking at ways to make connections between all these different things on the mind map. And then that, that's how I write my lyrics. Okay. Well, then I got to ask <laughs> the song, All My Fish Are Dead. Yeah. Did you mind map that? Yeah, I did. The guitarist came up for the song title with that because he recorded a demo and he sent it over and I said, oh, can you do me a favor? Can you just stick a song title on there so I know where to find it? And he put All My Fish Are Dead. I just went off on one and just wrote like 600 words of pure chaos. That song is dense, but somehow just yeah. addicting. Would you mind if we played it? Go for it. All My Fish Are Dead by the Vega Bodegas. 
<laughs> you said you did not play guitar on that? Zero guitar on that song. It was amazing. It was so good. But you do play guitar. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do play guitar. But the guitarist, Mark, he wrote the song uh, instrumentally and he sent it to me. And his idea was that there was like three or four songs in there. And he was like, I've just put all these ideas together. Tell me what works for a song. And I listened to it. And I was like, we can make it all work as one song. We can do it. <laughs> so like, don't worry about it. Because on the original demo, the middle bit was proper country. It was all acoustic guitars. Oh, and- wow. Yeah, I don't know why he recorded three or four different ideas as one, but it kind sure. of, I was just laughing. I was listening to it, laughing. I, I just thought, we have to make this work. Yeah, We were in the studio doing it, and I was going to play guitar on it, and I just thought, you know what? It just sounds so good with you playing it, because it's your thing. You know how it flows, what the groove is like on it. You just do it. So we just played everything on there. When I heard it, it's like, oh, God, whoever's playing this spent a lot of time as a kid listening to metal. There's clearly some dude that sat in his room and worked out GNR riffs and shit. Yeah. It's so good. And then the lyrics are so weird on top of it. There's definitely this juxtaposition of lyrics to riffs. Lyric to riff ratio. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, they don't go at all, do they? They're from two different worlds. That's what makes it work. Yeah. The rest of the boys in the band, well, Mark and Jamie, they're proper metalheads. And every time I send them lyrics or I do a demo and I send them lyrics, they don't reply. They don't even acknowledge the lyrics. (laughs) I had that recording and I did the vocals at home. I did a demo at home with the vocals on it and I sent it back. And then we were down the studio and Todd, who recorded us, was like, oh, what should we do today then? And they both got that song out on their phones and the only versions they had on their phone were the ones without lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Any song that's got my singing on it, they don't save it on their phones. They just save the instrumentals. (laughs) (laughs) Man. Deep down, they're embarrassed. They believe I just ruin real good metal songs. That's perfect. Yeah, that makes me so happy. (laughs) Yeah. I'm here to ruin every metal song they write. But in the case of at least that song, it's been getting some play, right? Yeah, it was um, Song of the Day on KEXP. Our hometown station. Come on, you need to get your ass over here. Yes, it's going to (laughs) happen. It's going to happen, definitely. Kevin Cole plays you so much. It's amazing. KEXP and Kevin Cole, shout out. With Kevin Cole, it's similar to how maybe bands feel when they see a running review. Like, I'll discuss what it means. He does that with the Vega Bodega songs as well. Yeah. Getting played on KXP alone is amazing. But to then have the DJ talking about what the song means and what it does to them is just, yeah, amazing. My wife always reacts to the neighbors are at it again, <laughs> drilling and fixing things. <laughs> <laughs> You're the Pixies. And those dudes are Guns N' Roses. And it is just an amazing car crash. I love it. I kind of feel like, out of all the guys in the band, I'm the one who's done the toilet circuit the most gig-wise. Yeah. And those boys play a lot in their bedrooms and just dream of, like, headlining Wembley. (laughs) (laughs) 
they write a song or write their parts of a song just thinking, how is this going to sound in a stadium? And I'm writing my lyrics thinking, how can I make three people in a room laugh to this song? I have to keep whoever comes to this gig entertained in any way possible. The show you played at Numo's with Future of the Left. In Seattle. Yeah. My son, to this day, says you specifically are his favorite performance he's ever seen. Oh, wow. (laughs) That was definitely in your drinking days. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think I climbed up the balcony, didn't I? You did. You jumped off the amp stack and grabbed a balcony. (laughs) I'm sure the people at Numo's were not stoked. (laughs) (laughs) And you did a thing where you pulled a kid up out of the crowd. He was singing along and you took your shirt and pulled it over his head. And then you started playing guitar with a kid stuck inside your shirt. You were soaking wet and like just screaming in this kid's ear and playing guitar over him. Oh, yes. It was amazing. That's so cool. But then you got burned out on that. Is that what brought you back to running? Uh, Like after I left Future the Left, I attempted to have a normal life. Not that Future Left was a celebrity lifestyle or whatever, but it was kind of whatever I did, I had to think about the possibilities of going on tour. So I was getting like little jobs, part-time jobs and stuff. And I kind of figured, oh, I'll just get a full-time job now and um, just start being a really normal person and no longer do music and stuff. And I spent maybe like two years working in a normal job and I just thought, this isn't for me. I still need to find a creative outlet. And I was a bit worried about my health because I was drinking a lot. Some people can drink and it's fine, but if I drink, it really affects me. It was making me like really lethargic, quite full of anxiety and stuff like that. So I just decided I need to get healthy again. So I just started running. I started running in 2019 just as a way to start feeling a little bit better about myself. And then I was putting things online about my return to running and how I was getting healthier and fitter. And it just took off. People were interacting with it straight away. And I just kind of thought, I'm onto something here. It's good for me and it's inspiring other people. So that kind of gave me the confidence to just keep on going. So you said you just stream of consciousness, say the stuff. And so like when you're doing those reviews, you don't recall them, right? Yeah, I spend like a lot of time editing them. Yeah. And then once I put them online, I don't really look at them again. I'm like, that's done. Yeah, so listen to that Adele one. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. I forgot they said that. Let's put you to the test then. All right. If you use Google autocomplete, yeah. it says weird stuff. <laughs> so I'll throw a quote at you and you can tell me, is this Jimmy Watkins or is this Google machine learning? Are you ready? Okay, go on. It feels like I have water in my ear. Is that it? Is that the quote? That's the quote. Yep. Yeah, I do get water in my ear a lot. So I'm going to say yes. That's me. That's Google. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. That was great. Do another one. Uh, okay. What about my kitchen is suddenly two miles high? Oh, my word. I'm going to go for Google. That's Jimmy Watkins reviewing the Joy Formidable. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Oh, my word. Here's an easy one. It feels like it's giving you a giant hug. Oh, uh, that's me. That's Google. Oh, <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. Oh, my word. Okay, here. It's like when you meet someone that makes you feel seasick. (laughs) Uh, Google. You got it. (laughs) Yeah. Amazing. John, you have a guitar. (laughs) 
Well, Jimmy, in this country, we uh, used to have big, huge, thick mail order catalogs. Sears was one of the biggest. You could order anything you could possibly imagine out of these mail order catalogs. People of our age grew up flipping through to the guitar section. Right. And you would dream about having this crappy little guitar if only your parents would get it for you. Yeah. Most of these were built by large manufacturers in Chicago. We have come to refer to them collectively as the Chicago Boys. So today, I have a Silvertone 1420. Oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, it is just a black two-single-coil, four-knob little thing made by Harmony in Chicago. This one would have been around 1960. Okay. Do you know anything about Harmony guitars? Does that jump out at you? Do you know what? I know about the Sears catalog and guitars because I read an interview with Jack White saying his guitars was from a Sears catalog. Yeah, yeah. Today, these really crappy, hard-to-wrestle-to-the-ground guitars are actually highly regarded. Yeah. But our story starts in 1916, when Sears, in an attempt to corner the booming ukulele market, buys Harmony. Sure. Yeah. Of course. You know what else happened in 1916, Ed? World War I times. Yeah. Kaiser Wilhelm? Am I throwing the right name out there? Maybe. I was thinking more along the lines of David Lloyd George. Do you know him, Jimmy? Uh, David Lloyd George? Yeah. I know him. Yeah. He, in 1916, on December 6th, becomes the Prime Minister of the UK. That's true. Yeah. I can verify that. Yeah. He was not Welsh per se. Exactly. But he was raised in Wales. Oh. And thus has the distinction of being the first Welsh-speaking British Prime Minister. Not exclusively Welsh-speaking. Is that even a thing? Are there people who can only speak Welsh? Is that a thing, Jimmy? No, I don't know. I don't think there's many, but definitely there's parts of Wales where the first language would be Welsh. Huh. Is it required in school? You have to do it to a certain age in school. Like, my son goes to a Welsh-speaking school now. Wow. Everything is done in Welsh. I love it. Unfortunately, I can't speak Welsh. I need to. I keep trying to learn, but I just, I don't know, I end up going for a run instead. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so 1916, this guy's talking in Parliament. Okay, great. Yeah, and by 1930, Harmony has sold 500,000 instruments. At their height. At their height. Now, this is the staggering thing. Yeah. Between about 1945 and 1975, how many guitars do you think they made and sold? 30 years. I'm going to go for 15 million. It was about 10 million guitars. Oh, I wasn't too far off. And it was in 1952 that Harmony decided they needed to get into the solid body game. Sure. Because in 1952, you've got Leo Fender and his funky Telecaster thingy. For sure. Harmony was like, oh man, we got to get into this solid electric game. So they started with a series they called Stratotone. Yeah. In that series are all different kinds of guitars, different colors, different pickups, all kinds of stuff. In fact, this guitar I have today was called the Mars by Harmony. Ooh. But, of course, this is branded Silvertone, which was Sears' house brand. So it was just called the 1420. It looks a lot like a Telecaster, but with two kind of soap bar pickups. These are called Hershey bar pickups. Ooh, Hershey bar. <laughs> Perfect. Looks like a solid body guitar, 
But is that thing actually solid? This thing is chambered. Yeah, big time, right? I'll turn off everything. Does this sound chambered? I don't know. What's your guitar deal, Jimmy? Tell me about your guitar deal. What's your guitar deal? Yeah. Well, when I first heard that guitar, when you played it, before you said where it was, it reminded me of a vintage SG I had. Ooh. I, I've got a Telecaster and a Strat. Perfect. Those are the only two I've got. The guitars I've got were given to me as gifts. When people buy you a guitar as a gift, they kind of have an idea what kind of guitars they want you to be. So it's good for them to give you a gift because you can try and live up to the expectations. <laughs> so, <laughs> when you buy your own guitar, you're like, this is where I'm at right now. This guitar is for me. So I like getting guitars as gifts. I have to do something to warrant that gift. I have to learn. Do you live up to the expectations? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for a new guitar. Oh. I'm working on a new band. It's called Nigel, but spelt in a really exotic way. Oh. And for a new band, you need a new guitar, you know, to give yourself a new personality. So I've been looking at hollow body guitars. Ooh. Oh. Oh, cool. John's pushing buttons. That's all 1960 old-timey guitar, but if you put enough pedals in front of it. <laughs> yeah. What pedal is that? Most of what you're hearing is a tremolo that's in a Strymon pedal, and then a synth that is a electroharmonics pedal. It's called the Synth 9. Ah, the synth is cool. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, that just sounds like sci-fi soundtrack. It does. This guitar is really great for that stuff. These two little pickups aren't really particularly microphonic or anything. Here's the bridge. And then the neck. Kind of mellow. And then in the middle. Completely serviceable, and these things were made out of crappy woods, and lots of times all the glue would be seeping out of the joints because they were cooking. Can you imagine, like, 1950s-style, some boss is like, Hey, Mac, you got another 150 of these to do by lunchtime. Hurry up. (laughs) (laughs) But it's got, like, front and back binding on the body. Yeah, yeah. For a silver tone catalog guitar, this must have been on the fancier end of the silver tone line. Well, let's see if we can figure that out, Ed. Oh, okay. When this came out in 1959, Uh how many $1959 would it have cost? Are you ready for this game, Jimmy? Yeah. This is a terrible game. I'm ready for it. 1959, like, think of inflation 63 years ago. Should we put 30 seconds on the clock for Jimmy to think about it? Go on, do it. Okay. Before I had this, it belonged to my sister. It used to be dad's, but he never took interest. Before it was his, it was paid for on time. By his father who left it, now it is mine. I think we should let Jimmy go first because I Ooh. feel like I have an unfair advantage. Oh. So. <laughs> I've gone for $4.06. 
$4.06, Ed. You would open the catalog and you would see a price of $4.06. Yes. Pretty low, I feel. You're pretty low just in general. Um, <laughs> that is a crazy number that I would not have thrown out in general. I think you did a great job, Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> I think you did really good for your first time. What about you, Ed? $59.99. It was $54.95. I was way off. $4. It's a bit embarrassing, really. <laughs> In today dollars, that's $526. Would you like to tell us how many pounds that is, Jimmy? Oh. $526? Yeah. I shall tell you now. Hang on. Oh, oh he's, oh, he's going to cheat. He's going to the internet. All right. Well, I was so embarrassed last time I used my own common sense. <laughs> <laughs> 388.89 pounds. Oh, my God. I'm used to this hot seat shit, right? I'm used to John throwing this stuff at me. <laughs> you did great for a first-timer. You know what, though? I don't feel too sharp today because I did SAS training yesterday. You know, I saw some pictures. What the hell was that? I'll just start by saying I never want to do it again. <laughs> and then I want to follow that up by saying it was the worst thing I've ever done in my life. Tell us what SAS is. Special Forces. It stands for something, though. I had a complete lack of respect for the military when I was there all day. It went down well with everybody. <laughs> They're supposed to be like the hardest and fittest people in the military. So I got asked to write an article about it by Runners World magazine. So they signed us up. <sighs> I had like a proper military brief. This is what you need to take. This is what needs to be in your bag. My bag was 45 pounds. And then you had to carry three liters of water with you and food. On top of the 45? Yeah, on top. And then it was over Penavan, which is like a big mountain in, in Brecon. So it was up over that, down the other side, on a bit more, then come back. It was 14 miles in total. <laughs> the exercise was largely a running exercise, though. I couldn't run with that bag on my back. You weren't dodging bullets and, like, diving <laughs> under razor wire. <laughs> Holding a selfie stick. They put this event on now and again, and people can pay for the SAS experience. It's a genuine training exercise that they use for the special forces. Sure. We did it with people who paid to do it, and there were some actual special forces people there doing it as well. And they give you a little talk at the beginning, and they say, right, if you were training for the SAS, your time you had to do this in is four hours 15. I was just thinking, four, I can do that, four hours 15, but right. I did it in four hours 20. Wow. It started hurting pretty much from the start, and it was a case of just accepting it for four hours. <laughs> It was funny, though, because you had the bag and you were told to put essentials in there to make it up to weight. Yeah. I filled it with clothes. I put sleeping bags in there and it was still too light. So I filled it up with books. Like, oh. And then at the end, they do a bag inspection and the guy opened my bag and like infinite jest fell out. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. As we've been working on this interview, I kind of guessed that you had a creative writing or literature background. Yeah. The things you say, the analogies you make, and the way you're able to do them, there's clearly some literature stuff going in there, right? Yeah, like infinite jest. Exactly. Oh, oh. David Foster Wallace. Ah, right. What's a book everyone should read? Tell you what, I was thinking about a book I read recently, which I'd never read before, and it's considered a classic, is As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner. What's Faulkner up to these days? Faulkner? Oh, no. Yeah. yeah. My favorite part about Faulkner is the sections where he just abandons punctuation. 
Yeah, totally. And then there'll be places where he picks it back up again and then just drops it again. <laughs> so you've released two Vega Bodega songs. Three. One of them I don't like so much, so just two. <laughs> Is there going to be a full album that those are on? Yeah, I think so. We're working on an EP. We've got an EP coming out in March and then possibly an album like towards the end of the year, I think. You gotta try it. This is a part where we say buy or deny. Would you, in fact, buy this guitar, Jimmy? I would definitely buy it. Yes. Why is that? Because it made me feel nostalgic for an old guitar I owned as soon as I heard it. I don't know. I quite like NAF guitars. So I would buy it. I think I would too, Ed. I don't, yeah, (laughs) I'm pretty mad on this guitar. Why is that, Ed? Here's what it's got going for. It's black. That's cool. I guess I don't have an old crappy catalog Sears guitar. Yeah, maybe I do need this. Yeah. Yeah, we'll all have one of these. We'll start a band together. John, Ed, and Jimmy will all play Silvertones. It'll be sick. Yes. What do you think, Jimmy? How did we do? I really enjoyed it. Yeah? Still am enjoying it, by the way. Yeah, that doesn't mean I enjoyed it earlier on, and now I'm no longer enjoying it. I've enjoyed it. (laughs) Where would you point people to? Uh, (laughs) It depends where they want to go. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Let's say they wanted to go find out more about Jimmy Watkins, the Vega Bodegas, the Running Punks, all of it. Yeah, I'm on Twitter as Biggie Timkins. Biggie Timkins. Yeah, Biggie Timkins. I started the pandemic as Little Timkins, and uh, I've upgraded myself to Biggie Timkins. (laughs) Instagram as Nutbush Jimmy Limits. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? That's a Tina Turner reference. Yeah, and then Running Punks is everywhere. I'm sorry about that, but we are just constant. And the Vega Bodegas are on Spotify. Yes. I think we did a great job, Jimmy. I think we did a marvelous job. I think we did such a great job. How would you grade this job? How would you grade Ed in particular? (laughs) Out of 10? Yeah. I'd say 10 out of 10 for both of you. Oh my God. Well, Jimmy Watkins of the Vega Bodegas and the Running Punks, we cannot thank you enough for wasting a bit of time with us. It was really fun. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.